Jane. Happy early birthday to Phyllis. Happened to be driving last night to get some dinner and saw all the cars, and I compared it to, it's like a fraternity house uh, when, when they have people over, but happy birthday, and that's a, I think somebody else used the word milestone. It's a, it's a great milestone, and uh, we're, we're so thankful for Phyllis. Mark chapter 4 is where we will be this morning. We'll be looking at verses 35 through 41. Jesus calms the storm. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace! Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in this beautiful day and a day to come together to worship you and to praise your great name. Lord, we pray for our time today as we study in your word, that as always, that we would be pointed to truth, pointed to the gospel. Lord, we want to pray for Phyllis as she celebrates her birthday this week, Lord, and we just, we pray for your blessings upon her and her family. Lord, we pray for many more years of good health, Lord, for a great and special birthday. Lord, we want to continue to pray for Ron Yergler as he's in the nursing home receiving treatment and recovering. Lord, we want to continue to pray for him as well, Lord, just to be getting better and better every day, getting stronger and stronger every day. Lord, we pray for this, uh, this fellowship supper that we're going to be having this evening, and Lord, just pray that a lot of people can come and enjoy each other's company and for a great time. Lord, we praise you that you have given us your holy word, that you have spoken through that. May we be pointed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Meeting Jesus in the storm. Once upon a time, there was a boat, and a great storm came upon her. Leaks sprung in the boat, the winds violently shaking the boat, the waves crashing down upon the boat, up and down as the fury of the seas tossed it about. This was the situation in which John had found himself. He had sailed many times before, but this storm was especially violent. The whole boat seemed like it could be ripped apart at any moment. At one point, waves swept one of the crew members overboard. John and the crew spent hours feverishly trying to get water off of the boat. For several hours, John himself was steering the ship in the storm. And it was during these frightful hours that John had the opportunity to think about life. He prayed to God in the fear in this storm. And eventually, the storm subsided. The rains stopped. John changed that day. He didn't have all the answers, but he would later look back on that storm as a pivot point in the life of his faith. Many years later, John would write these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. In that storm in 1748, God spared John Newton 
who would go on to become an English minister, an outspoken abolitionist against slavery, and a hymn writer, most notably for the song Amazing Grace. Sometimes you meet Jesus in the storm. We're looking at a section in Mark chapter 4 today. I do this sometimes, but I want to take a break from our study through the book of Galatians. We're in a new month. We've got five weeks until Easter, and I thought it would be a good time to look at an event from one of the Gospels to look at really one of Jesus' greatest hits, such a well-known story. The main idea from this passage is that Jesus is with you in the storm. And we're going to look at this passage in three scenes today. And with that, we'll jump right into our passage. First scene, on the boat, and really it's the setting for the story, and this will be our shortest scene. Throughout Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been teaching in parables, and they've come to the end of the day, and Jesus will gather up the disciples to retire for the evening. Verse 35 says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Verse 36, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. So you have Jesus and the disciples in one boat, and you also have other boats in the water. So that's the situation. We come to our second scene, and it's the story itself. I've titled this second scene, In the Storm. And immediately, we see the boat facing difficulty. If you have your Bible, look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. For a little bit of background... They're on the Sea of Galilee in this event. Or at least, that's the name by which we refer to this body of water. I said this, if you remember, when we were in the Gospel of John, but the Sea of Galilee is really more of a lake. When I hear of a sea, in my mind, I picture a body of water that's basically just a little bit smaller than an ocean. But when Carrie and I lived in Minnesota, there are some lakes in Minnesota that are larger than the Sea of Galilee. The Galilee Lake, as it would be more appropriately termed, is extremely low in elevation. It's about 695 feet below sea level. But you also have some relatively high mountains around it. 30 miles to the east of this lake, you have Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet tall. And to put that in perspective, Mount Mitchell in North Carolina, which is the tallest mountain east of the Mississippi, is only about 6,600 feet. So you have some pretty tall mountains in this area. And so what can happen is you have cooler air coming over top of the mountains, mixing with the warm air coming off of the water. And even today, when these air masses collide, there can be times where you get ferocious storms on the Sea of Galilee. So. When we read the story and it says a great windstorm arose, I think it can be easy just to read past that and, and maybe underappreciate the peril of the situation. The boat that they're in, they're not on an aircraft carrier. They're not in Captain Jack Sparrow's boat from Pirates of the Caribbean. They're on a relatively short, relatively small wooden boat. And it's not a good match for the storm that they're facing. They don't have any lights. What starlight they would have is being blocked out mostly by the storm. Water is flooding the boat. And while all of this is going on, all of this chaos, all of this turmoil, 
Where do we find Jesus? Verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. This is the only place in the Gospels where it mentions Jesus sleeping. Jesus is a man and he's God. This story shows us his humanity and his divinity. He sleeps. In other places we see him eat. So he's asleep in the stern of the boat. Again, this is not a very big boat. When I used to read this passage, I think I used to imagine he's in some sort of compartment below deck sleeping. But given how Roman boats were built in this period, that's almost certainly unlikely. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat during all of this craziness. And at this point in the story, I think it's helpful to think about the situation. Where are they? As I've already said, they're in a ferocious storm on the Sea of Galilee. Who is there? Jesus and his disciples. Why are they there? Now that's an interesting question. Why are they in the storm? Because Jesus said to them, let us go to the other side. They are following the direction of the Lord. And now they find themselves in this harrowing storm. Now they find themselves fearful for their lives. Have you ever been in a situation like that? In a situation where you really felt like your life was truly in danger in that moment. And maybe it's something you look back upon and think, it wasn't that bad in hindsight. But in the moment you thought, this could really be bad. Going where Jesus wants you to go. It's not always going to be the easy road. But it will always be the best road. It's not always the promise of a life without difficulty. But it's trusting in the Lord in spite of difficulties. There are missionaries who follow the Lord, who trust in him, who go where God sends them, and who have lost their lives for the cause of Christ. The point of the story isn't trust in Jesus and things won't be tough. It's that Jesus is with you even when things are tough. Jesus was with you in the storm. The point is not that God brings us into situations where we face perfect ease. And really, I think that's how a lot of modern American Christians want to think. Just follow God, be good, be devoted, and it'll be smooth sailing. No. But rather, that God keeps us moving forward even in the storm. Jesus warned the disciples about the personal struggles they would face. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he warned the disciples about what was on the horizon. 16, 1 through 4. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He's telling them that things are going to be difficult. And if you study the lives of the disciples, that's exactly what happened. As 11 of the 12 ended up being martyred for their faith. The men whom Jesus had picked to start the church suffered greatly. He didn't lead them into total ease and comfort. There are seasons of life that are harder than others. Illnesses, family problems, deaths, financial hardships. 
years that we look to and don't know how we even made it through. Over the last three years, our society has been totally turned upside down. Trusting Jesus even in those storms because God is sovereign. The disciples in the passage confront Jesus. Second part of verse 38 says, the disciples say to Jesus, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In verse 39, it shows Jesus waking up. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He commands the weather and it obeys. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus speaks to the disciples in verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Fear is one of those things that is normal to humanity. It's instinctive in some situations. But the Bible never portrays fear as being a good thing. At least fear in circumstances and situations. Fear of the Lord is good, having a sense of awe and reverence for God. Yet, it's a struggle that all of us deal with at different times in our lives where we face circumstances, situations, unknowns that make us fearful. When we truly recognize the goodness and faithfulness of God, when we truly realize God's sovereignty and eternal purposes for his actions, and we do that imperfectly, but the more and more we understand that, we can begin to realize more and more that there is no reason to fear when we have a holy and sovereign God who loves us. It's interesting that we see in this passage Jesus asleep. In the Old Testament, there are examples of sleep actually being illustrative of showing trust in God. Have you ever been so anxious or stressed out that you had a hard time sleeping? I think most of us have, many of us have. In Psalm chapter 3, David is talking about the foes who are trying to end his life. Specifically in that situation, his own son, Absalom, is plotting against David and trying to have him killed. Psalm chapter 3, verse 1 says, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. But later in that same psalm, David will talk about his confidence in God. He says in verses 5 and 6, I lay down and slept, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Another example, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 24 to 26. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So this is talking about walking in the confidence of the knowledge of the goodness of God. The Lord will be your confidence. He will be the anchor that we cling to. He is our salvation. And to continue walking in faith. And again, it's meant to be a picture of faith. That we know that God is in control and that he is good. Jesus is with you in the storm. We have a Savior who can calm the storm, but who could also sleep during the storm. We come to our third point, and really it's the response of the disciples. Final verse of this section, Mark 4, 41. 
And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're full of fear as they see the power of what Jesus can do. They were formerly afraid of the storm. Now they're afraid of Jesus because they've seen his power. Had seen this awesome might of this man. I've seen how spectacular and glorious he is. And they're left simply asking, who is this? But I also think that this is something that's here for us too. I think that this is in this gospel for people who read this gospel for our own reflection. Who is this man? Based on this story, based on the gospel, who is this? In John chapter 2, when Jesus turns water into wine, the passage says that the disciples believed in him. So if they believed in him, how are they now asking at a later date, who is this? I think this is much more similar to faith than we so often care to admit. Several books in the New Testament make distinctions between immature or baby Christians and more mature Christians. Both are equally saved by God's grace, but there is a process of growth in the Christian life. We grow in our faith. It's one thing to understand you're imperfect, to understand that you're sinful and that you need grace and that Jesus is gracious. But years later, when you still don't have it all together, I think it gives a greater appreciation for the grace that God extends to us, looking at where we were, where we've come, and also having a greater understanding of how much there still is to do. Again, to God's glory, we are saved by faith, but we are growing in faith as a result of that salvation. And so we place faith in Jesus, and the faith grows. And faith and trusting the Lord is the entry point to the gospel. And as a person matures in faith, you have a greater knowledge of God, a greater love for him. And so in John 2, what we see is the disciples do believe in Jesus, though imperfectly. But things were still new. And in a difficult situation, they still responded in fear. But in seeing Jesus calm the storm, it showed an entirely new side of Jesus' power. Never before had a person calmed a storm. Who controls the weather? Only God can do that. The Bible has much to say about weather. There are upwards of 1,400 references to weather in the Bible, according to Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God. And God sovereignly controls the forces of nature. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all of the laws of nature exist because God willed them to be so. He made all things. He holds all things together by his power. He sustains the entire universe. And because Jesus is a member of the Trinity, we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that this same language will be applied to Jesus in the New Testament, that Jesus also is sovereign over creation. Colossians 1.17, speaking of Jesus, says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. At the beginning of the book of Hebrews, the author is talking about Jesus' role in creation. 
It says, he is called the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his nature. And it adds that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. And so the storm is calmed because of the power of Christ. The earth continues to revolve around the sun because of the power of Christ. Gravity works because of the power of Christ. Our atmosphere allows for our survival because Jesus wills for that to happen. There is nothing in the natural world that happens outside of the will and dominion of Christ. And there is one reason why Jesus does all the things God can do. And it is because he is God. And that is what this passage is ultimately pointing to. He is almighty. In the Gospels, we see his power over health, over sicknesses, diseases, and disabilities. We see his power over the forces of nature. We see his power over the spiritual realm. And we'll even see his power over life and death. Who is this? The disciples ask. They might not have fully realized it when he calmed the storm. But it was another piece in showing the divinity of Christ. Who is Jesus? He revealed himself to be God on earth. He is our creator. We owe all to him. He is the one who sustains us. We're walking today, we have life today, not because we've worked hard for it or supported ourselves or even how good we take care of ourselves. And those things are all well and good to live according to God's wisdom. But the reason ultimately why we're here is because Jesus has given us this day. The disciples had asked Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? I think there can be times where we also want to approach Jesus with that same type of panic. Jesus knows our struggles. He knows our challenges. He knows them because he lived them. Jesus can relate. The word became flesh. He came to our world. He ate, he slept, he wept. He prayed, he praised, he preached, he taught. He felt pain, he felt hurt, he felt betrayal. He felt the last breath of oxygen leave his lungs. Why did he do that? Why did he go through all of those things? Because he does care that we are perishing. And when we're in the storms of life, when we're in a difficult relationship, when we're going through a difficult period in our marriage, and it doesn't seem like it's going to get better, when we're going through our darkest days of grief, when we're praying for our health to improve and it isn't improving, it might be tempting to ask, do you not even care? Know that we have not been abandoned. Jesus is with you in the storm. Jerry Bridges makes the helpful observation in trusting God. He says, when it comes to obedience, we obey God one choice at a time. And when it comes to trusting God, we must trust him one circumstance at a time. Bridges makes the observation that trusting God is not about feelings. Because it's often hard to feel like you trust God. You choose to trust God. You choose to remember God's faithfulness. You choose to remember his promises and that he is with you in the storm. And there are times when that can be tough, if we're being honest. There are times when it seems impossible to see how a situation could possibly be good or be for our good. 
There are times where it can be easy to think that Jesus is asleep on the job, like when he was asleep in the boat. And there are times where every inclination of a broken heart might be to be angry with God, to want to yell at him, like the disciples. Do you not even care? There are storms in life. The apostles faced a literal storm. And while Jesus calms the storm, the greater takeaway to this event is that Jesus is the Lord. He is our God and Savior. Jesus is with us in the storm. So often we can have kind of a bandwagon approach to Jesus, that when things are going good, we'll give some praise. But when the going gets tough, we shut down. That's the opposite of what we should do. So often we make our love for God something that we act like it's, it's contingent, it's conditional. But when we're going through the toughest situations, when we're going through the toughest circumstances, to know that we have a Savior who is with us, who has not abandoned us, who will not leave us nor forsake us, who has not forgotten us, and to walk with him, to look to him, to know he is with us in the storm. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we again thank you that we have a great Savior. Lord, may we trust in him. Lord, I'm sure some of us are going through tough times right now. Many of us might not even know about a person's struggle. But Lord, if that is anybody in particular, we pray for that person and that they would just look to Jesus, that they would know he is not asleep, he is with them. Lord, for us all, and the challenges we face, may we remember, remember that we have a gracious and loving Savior. We have a Lord who invites us into relationship. Lord, it's a relationship that the world cannot take away. May we trust in that. In Jesus' name, amen.